This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. And my thanks to Sam Cummins for the last three hours of Out on the Patio. And a reminder that Out on the Patio will be back next week between four and seven on a Wednesday. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk tech, computing, the internet, uh, all kinds of good devices. Um, Tonight on the show, uh, I am in the presence of Cassandra Wright. Cassie, how are you doing? Great. Uh, Surviving the weather, I guess. It's nice and warm in studio though, so... Mm. I think I've got those, um, you know, those cold spots on your fingers. Are they shingles? Is that, is that what they are? It's like um, we get. I don't think that's right. No, it's not shingles. It's like we get like um, a sensitive point from the cold on um, your extremities. You need those gloves that allow you to still use your smartphone. Yeah, exactly right. That's why you haven't been wearing gloves. No, I've got really good gloves, and I was walking along this morning, and I just kept taking them off to like you know check some emails or whatever. Yeah, because you need them to be smartphone enabled. Yeah, okay. That's the issue. We were talking about this at work today. Okay, well, well let's let's get into this. We'll do a segment on one of the upcoming shows. <laughs> <laughs> Practical things that work with technology and keep you warm. Uh, I'm Warren Davies. I'll be with you on the show as well for the next uh, 57 minutes. Um, it is going to be an interesting show. Um, Australia does do good design and uh, we're always excited when um, a great piece of tech um, marries well with design. We're going to be looking at a, uh, a hearing aid solution um, that's um, been very well received um, locally and around the world. Um, in just a moment, um, we've got uh, one of the founders and uh, developers um, behind this uh, revolutionary uh, hearing aid. We're also going to have a look at a local festival. Um, Cassie, how would you summarise um, this festival? An all ages con in the southeast of Melbourne, and con is in convention about tech mm. and it's great not a commentary pop on the price or anything like that, is well, it? Well, it's an, it, no, <laughs> it, it's completely free, so it'll be exciting to talk to the organizer about that. That'll be a little bit later on, but um, before we get to that, we do have some uh, news and things to um, bring to your attention. Um, one of the interesting things that just popped up uh, in my email a few minutes ago um, relates to loot boxes. Um, if you're a bit of a gamer, or even if you uh, are a casual gamer and have played Farmville or Sims or something like that, uh, you might be familiar with the concept of loot boxes. Uh, loot boxes are in-game uh, purchases that um, uh, are there in, I guess, what you call freemium games where it costs you nothing or very little to get involved, but the um, game developers are interested uh, in making a buck off it. Um, the Senate has supported a, a motion from the Australian Greens um, calling for an urgent investigation into the use of loot boxes in video games. Um, Senate's going to consider a motion tomorrow um, that it be referred to the Environment and Communications References Committee for Investigation. Um, there's a bit of commentary about um, developers not really liking them because it's not really about the game. It's about making a buck um, out of it. Um, users hate them because it puts this um, artificial barrier to progress in the game. You have to sort of pay money to pick up something to help you sort of get past that wall or get past that level. It's frustrating because if you buy it, you feel like you're cheating and you're not good enough to actually do it by yourself. But if you don't buy it, you don't end up getting anywhere in the game. So... You know, you've, you're just between a rock and a hard place. There was this famous loot box of a game uh, in the UK maybe or maybe a decade or so ago where there was an uh, online game with a box that you had to get into and everyone was desperate to get into this box, didn't know how to do it. There was a lot of tools that you could actually use. So you could get like a screwdriver or a hammer or something like that. There was something like a diamond tip drill that went for £50,000 in the UK and one person bought it so they could crack open this box. What was in the box? I forget. That wasn't the most interesting part. <laughs> Some idiot paid 50,000 pounds. I mean, we say that, but 
I used to think that I'd never spend money in an app. I'm not even a, a seasoned gamer. I only really play apps and yet I get sucked in. I don't want to wait 24 hours for my lives to regenerate, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to share it with my friends in order to get more lives and I end up spending more on the game than if I actually went and bought a DS or PlayStation game, which is frustrating. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it'll it's uh, it's in play in the Senate at the moment and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, another thing that is um, not unrelated to Canberra, um, it's come out that Weiwei and uh, the Australian Parliament um, might have a, a special relationship of sorts. What's what's happening here? There's been a lot of discussion about this over the last two days. So basically what happened is a think tank, um, which was is the Australian Strategic Polity, Policy Institute, sorry, the ASPI, put out uh, a report yesterday that listed how um, listed the companies that had paid the most in politicians' trips or or gifts and Weiwei came out on top. Now, everyone's running and screaming about this because of plans from Weiwei to uh, be a be a presence in Australia's 5G network plans. Mm-hmm. There's also been some news earlier this month that you might have heard where they wanted to put a cable from um, Sydney to the Solomon Islands, which would probably mean faster internet and, mm. and better things. But uh, Australia came in and blocked that because they were worried about the data security because it is a Chinese company. Mm. Um, so there's lots of different elements at play. People are sceptical saying, oh, are they buying off our politicians? Uh, Weiwei's come out and they've said, no, we offer trips to different think tanks mm. and politicians to see our technological progress. And Are they are they just doing business or are they, is there some kind of Cold War kind of, um, you know, subterfuge going on here? It's it's interesting, like we're, we're still, still in this country, like deeply suspicious of kind of, you know, uh, some kind of like uh, anyway, I'm not going to go know. down that path. The local yeah. boss, John Lord, he spoke to the National Press Club today um, and he did say that there's no reason for us to pass a lot of data back to China. It's well aware of its responsibilities in every country, um, but there's still, there's still concerns and uh, there's still people wanting to block them out. So it, it'll just be interesting to keep tabs on that and see how it progresses. Mm. One place we might be able to uh, keep track of it is on IGTV. Um, Instagram at an event in San Francisco um, uh, have announced a couple of things. Firstly, um, the platform has got to a billion users, which is uh, is very nice for Woo. them. Woo. <laughs> um, well done, guys and gals. Um, they've decided to um, uh, push out, um, I guess, feature development and they've introduced, um, I guess, what they're calling uh, Instagram TV. So IGTV is a new app uh, which allows for watching long-form vertical video um, from, you know, um, the people that you like to kind of waste a bit of time with um, on your phone. So I can't believe that it's been five years since video was actually allowed on Instagram. Mm. Um, And those of you who are unfamiliar with the app will know Mm. that what there's only up to uh, one minute of content that you mm-hmm. can you can put on in video. And most of them are a lot shorter. And the, yeah. the kind of the culture of it is it's kind of quick sort of, you know, consumable yeah. stuff. With Vine, it was only six seconds. So we'd mm. gotten used to having something shorter. Mm. 60 And now minutes. we've got nothing to say. How are we going to fill up an hour? <laughs> I mean, Netflix has, uh, has had Cole Sprouse 
uh, who's an, an actor of Dylan mm. and Cole Sprouse twin fame, mm. eating a burger just for 60 minutes. So mm. that's what they did to celebrate uh, the launch of IGTV. That's great. Technology truly is amazing. Um, so, but it's just really interesting if you think about how Facebook's been, Facebook now owns Instagram mm. and Facebook's been pushing vertical stories for a while, I mm-hmm. guess, to um, try and test the, the content form. And now this is being released. But um, interestingly, they've said that with the Insta- IGTV app, it will work well with Instagram, but when you open it, it will immediately start playing. So it's trying to tap back into that old analog nostalgia of turning on a television and, and having something coming at you. Mm. The difference is that there'll be algorithms that decide what comes at you. So uh, I guess we'll we'll wait to find out, but it's being rolled out in Android and iOS. So hopefully it will be here soon. Mm. Uh, interestingly, in security news, um, Wi-Fi security, which you think should be some of the sort of toughest security out there, considering you know how um, how much we do uh, over Wi-Fi networks, um, hasn't um, been a place of uh, much development. Um, in fact, for the past decade, we've been on the same security protocol, um, but that is changing. Um, the Wi-Fi Alliance, which oversees adoption of the Wi-Fi standard, is beginning to certify products that support WPA3, um, which is the successor to WPA2, um, which has been in use since 2004. So there's a lot of uh, additional protections for devices connected over Wi-Fi um, under the new protocol. Um, so one big improvement is it makes it harder for hackers to crack your password uh, by guessing it over and over again, which is, you know, over time, not that hard to do, um, really. Um, another limit's what data hackers can see, um, even once uncovered the passcode. So um, you've, you've kind of got siloed um, um, data, which is good, worked for the Titanic. Um, and um, a few other bits and pieces. So um, I think that's great. It's kind of, I guess it's one of those areas that's very important, but um, not a particularly um, attractive or kind of talent isn't drawn to to sort of those parts of the, the security infrastructure. Well, from what I've uh, what I understand about it, it'll be the same kind of interface for a user. It's mm. just a username and password on our end, mm-hmm. but um, the actual technology that goes behind it or um, the, the security... Is a lot more robust. Yeah, yeah, is a lot more robust. And it's not just your neighbour using your Wi-Fi and using up all your data. As we move on to more internet of things or connected households, it's mm. really, really important. And yeah. we're worried about these big companies, but we're not... Uh, it's it's good to see that we're taking more interest <laughs> in getting our own devices up to scratch. Do do you um, do you pay attention to Wi-Fi network names? Have you ever either come up with good ones yourself, or do you have any good local ones? I love ones that you see the ones that are shared online, like Pretty Fly for a Wi-Fi, and mm. um, but I. I've never actually come up with one that's been that engaging by if, myself. If, if you're interested, and please don't this, uh, let this reflect your uh, contribution during Radiothon, but the original names currently in the Wi-Fi networks at Triple R, we have Green Room. Good. Yeah. Basement. Is there a basement here? I'm not aware of that. Um, uh, rooftop. Those were the days when we used to have a rooftop. I see. I just thought these were all kind of ironic. I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe they're just trying to describe the building. But I mean, we did, you know, we did have a rooftop. Well, you know, there was a rooftop cafe and and stuff back in the day. Anyway, um, we do digress. Um, One of the other things that's interesting, tell us about this Health Engine app. So Um, speaking of data, um, I am one of the many Australians um, that use Health Engine, mm -hmm. which is an app for booking appointments. Mm -hmm. I got onto it because my GP used it, recommended um, using that. So instead of calling up, 
like an entitled millennial, I just like to do things on my phone. Sure. But uh, what happens every time you sign up, it asks you if you have private health insurance and um, if you do, would you like us to contact you about more stuff? And I always say no. Mm. But apparently if you write that um, your med- your appointment is about a workplace injury, mm-hmm. it puts you in touch with it sends your information to lawyers by default who have been contacting people. Mm-hmm. So um, at the moment, um, the Di- Australian Digital Health Agency is looking into this um, to investigate the issue because uh, Slater and Gordon have been contacting people uh, with their personal medical information, um, and it's already yielded fifty thousand. Or $500,000 worth of legal fees from Slater and Gordon through mm. that. So it's been uh, quite great for them. So I guess it's another, it's a free app. It's a free service. Uh, it's probably pitching to the um, GPs as free, or I'm not sure because it, it pops up saying, would you like to go to a dentist nearby every time I book? But I have actually been quite free in handing out my data to this. And I think a lot of other well, you people you thought have, you had relevant protections and... Yeah, yeah, it seems legitimate. Um, it's you know when you when you go in and you make a booking with a medical receptionist, she's not allowed to call her friend who works at a law firm and pass that on. Mm. Um, so you would assume that similar things would be in place for medical appointments, uh, but not so. So yeah, um, I don't know if that's even enough to deter me from making it's my next appointment so through it. Yeah. But I always just say general appointment. So mm. yeah, that's I, I just want the appointment to go straight into my calendar. Otherwise, I forget. Fair enough. Uh, we love talking about local products and uh, local innovation. And one of the uh, great stories of recent times is Facet. Um, it's picked up a good design award recently uh, up in Sydney. And we're now joined by co-founder of Blamey Saunders, uh, the developers of Facet, um, Professor Peter Blamey. Uh, Peter, thanks for coming in tonight. Oh, you're welcome, Warren. It's a great pleasure to be here. So um, is, this, is this your first kind of um, award for a product in, in your line of work um, or have you been kind of putting these things in the pool room for a, a few years now? Well, it's surpri- uh, amazing that you say pool room because we've got a, a room in our, um, in our office called the pool room because it looks ah. like it should have a pool table in it, but it's almost full of awards and things we've won. With, we've, this is about number 20, I think. Oh, well, well done. Yeah. You must be doing something right then. Yeah, well, we think so, and so do the uh, the judges of these things. So it's great. Yeah. So uh, Facet, what's the what's the where does the name come from, and, and what's the idea behind Facet? So Facet is a hearing aid that looks completely different from other hearing aids, and we worked with a designer called Leah Heiss, who's doing a PhD in design at RMIT, but she went to the Melbourne Museum and she spent a lot of time looking at crystalline forms and those sorts of things and she came Mm. up with something that looks like a crystal Mm. and um, it's comfortable to wear but it does have some sort of sharper edges than most most hearing aids and that's where the name came from. We, We spent days, weeks trying to think of a good name and ended up with Facet. Yeah. Do you know the exhibition? It's one of my favourite ones at the museum. Like I don't, um, I don't collect stones or rocks or anything like that, but it is really amazing. And you're right. It's the structures and the weird shapes and geometry of crystals 
um, it's a good source of inspiration for her. It is, yeah. And Leah's a really interesting person. She um, calls herself a medical device jewellery designer. Mm. And this isn't the first medical device that she's designed, but she uh, she uses ideas that come from nature. And so she's got a device that looks like a necklace, but actually it's got little sensors inside the, the sort of stone-like things. And um, it's, it, it's really clever design. She likes to talk about taking things from disability to desirability. So mm. oh. you want to be able to talk about these sorts of things and feel good about wearing them, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, when we talk about uh, the progress of uh, medical design and devices, normally it's about making things as invisible as possible or um, just just making them appear not, not there at all. But with Facet, you've gone a different route. Uh, I did a bit of reading and... Um, it, it said that with Facet, you're hoping to combat uh, a trend of people putting off getting a hearing aid for um, for 10 years or more when they actually lose their, their hearing because of the stigma around it. How does having a beautiful design compare with um, trying to make it as, as invisible as possible? Yeah, well, there are opposite ends of a continuum, obviously, but um, nobody, I don't... I, I, I don't think anybody else has tried to do this before, but we did um, sort of market research forums and things to find out what people really thought. And we discovered that uh, quite a lot of people want to be out there. They want to be able to say, I'm doing something about my hearing. I'm improving my quality of life. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm doing that. So behind our hearing aids, not just facet, but the earlier ones, there's this sort of ethos that people want to be in control of their lives. They want to be able to look after themselves. And so we make all our hearing aids self-programmable. So you don't have to go to an audiologist and say, these are the problems, can you fix them for me? You can buy a hearing aid online, you can do a test online, you can twiddle the, the knobs online and you can get it right for yourself. And that makes people feel really good. So there's that feeling of, of satisfaction. But the idea that you have to hide the hearing aid is kind of um, difficult to achieve. And so it's just another thing that people fail at, you know, and it, it's the psychological effects of hearing loss that are the most difficult to deal with. And if you have other people thinking, you know, there's something wrong with you, rather than being able to talk about it and, and and really explain to them what it's like and what you're doing about it and how you can help. That, that's much more engaging. I guess it's comparable to, you know, some people who want to go down the route of wearing contacts, even though they might be uncomfortable um, or, or not suit them. And some people who want the most amazing set of glasses ever that really suits them, they're willing um, to, to show some of their flair and creativity in it. But with uh, Facet, you've actually brought in um, some smarter elements, as you were saying. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the battery and how that's different from a regular hearing aid? Yeah, so um, there's a whole lot of barriers to using hearing aids and changing the batteries, strangely enough, is a really difficult thing to do. You know, if you had to change a hearing aid battery in a conventional hearing aid in the dark at the pictures or something like that, um, you'd probably drop the battery, you might break the hearing aid, you 
you'd have all sorts of trouble, particularly if you've got any dexterity issues. So with the facet, we've used a magnetic connection so that the battery compartment can be separated from the rest of the hearing aid and you can pick up a, a charged battery compartment and it takes you a second for the magnets to connect it back onto your hearing aid. So instead of taking a minute of fiddling around in the dark, you can just put these two things close to one another and they snap together. And there's a rechargeable pod around it, is that? Yeah, that's right. So we call the charger the pod. Uh, that was designed by Leah as well. It's a nice oval sort of structure and inside at night there are two digital signal processing modules and four batteries and the batteries are recharging and um, one of the technologies that we're going to introduce soon is being able to upload and download data from the, the main part of the hearing aid while it's charging, so between your phone and the hearing aid. And we're trying to create a whole hearing health ecosystem so that it becomes part of your life. It's not just something you wear because you can't hear. It's something that uh, sort of taps into the whole of the digital health ecosystem that we live in. So there you go. You can um, use your health app to um, order one of these, book an appointment. Well, you'd have to just say a general appointment, but then you'd secretly want one of these. Well, if you're moving into smart devices or positioning in that way, you know, we've had, um, you know, the the trackers, activity trackers on your wrist, mm. smartwatches. We've heard necklaces that track your emotion and, and health. Um is there, and I know we're dealing with hearing loss um, and, and getting in there, but I know people of um, some of our generations have heavily used headphones and um, blasted a lot of our eardrums and might not be getting, or there's been reports that we will be going deaf earlier. Um, is, are there, is there anything in the works or any benefits to using a device like this to collect data before you lose your hearing? Um. I don't think so. I mean, you, you could probably collect data in a cheaper, easier way than buying a hearing Cassie, aid. Cassie yeah. just wants one because they look so good. <laughs> yeah, well... They do look cool. Yeah. So in these modules with the, um, the rechargeable batteries in them, we also have an opportunity to include other sensors and things like that. So you might have a heart rate monitor hanging behind your ear or a, uh, a blood pressure monitor or a falls detector and those sorts of things. So we're really serious about using this device, which is a really sophisticated high-tech device for a whole lot of purposes, partly to make it more attractive to people, but also to save money in the long run. You know, why would you wear half a dozen different devices if it could all be done with one? Can I ask a, a silly question? Um, the the scale of that that component of the, of the hearing aid that I feel like it's been a similar size for quite some time is there a reason why they don't get any smaller or is it about different products form different needs so if you go high end with the hearing aid you can get a, a super small device or is it could you explain that to me a little bit just the the part that typically sits behind the ear in these types of models so there is quite a big range of size mm. uh, you, you're probably not aware but the mm. smallest ones are actually sort of fingernail size right um you can have hearing aids that go right inside the ear mm. as well yeah 
Um, the ones that go right inside the ear, though, that are that are really invisible from the outside, have to have a tiny little battery. Mm. You can't actually take them in and out very easily. Mm. So this tiny little battery needs to run for about three months mm. before you take it out and change yeah. it. And so the processing is really much less sophisticated than what you can have in a bigger device. But sure. there's always been a trade-off between it's like convenience and capability and power and size. Yeah. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, yeah. Do you see any um, movement in the in the future for different types of technology that can um, help actually have sound channeled directly into the ears of someone with hearing loss, for example, connected to um, audio devices or or the like? Or at the moment, are we in the industry? Are we still looking at um, just taking in the world as it, as it is? No, we're already there. So there are wireless links directly into hearing aids from phones or other devices. Um, the more primitive technology is this thing called a telecoil where you can have a, a loop in a room like a church or somewhere and the signal is uh, an electromagnetic field created by that loop and picked up by a smaller loop in the hearing aid. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. They all have advantages or disadvantages. Things like Bluetooth, though, use 10 times as much power as the hearing aid does itself. So your battery that would have lasted a week now only lasts half a day. And so that's why it's important to have these rechargeable batteries that are easy to change. So the facet has a, a Bluetooth input that we can use so we're, we're still working on improving that but so um, well, that's very exciting soon. yeah um, it sounds like we'll have to keep our finger on the pulse on that one just mm. to see um, because I, I assume that um, I, I don't personally suffer hearing loss but I do have relatives that do and it is quite empowering to be able to engage in in media even with hearing aids we often still have the subtitles on because you're taking in a, a lot of different other noise so uh, that's really exciting to, to see yeah, what could happen. That, that's the other great thing about this modular technology. So hearing aids, um, cost is, is a big factor that turns people off. So top of the range conventional hearing aids could cost anywhere between ten dollars and $15,000 for two. Um, we've brought that price way down, but Facet is still about $6,000 for a pair of hearing aids. But the good thing is that we're going to have a stream of new modules coming out. So instead of having to buy a whole new hearing aid when you want Bluetooth, you buy a Bluetooth module. Instead of having to buy a whole new hearing aid when you want to add a heart monitor to your hearing aid, you buy a heart monitor module. Um, when you want to use replaceable batteries instead of rechargeable, you buy a replaceable battery module. So, you know, I've just talked about five different types of hearing aids, but you get them all for that that first mm. price and then you buy buy modules. So we're really thinking about this whole hearing health ecosystem, how you buy into it, making it easy for the consumer. We, we think we're the most consumer-focused hearing aid company in the world mm. and it's because we sell direct to people and we have very direct contacts with people and talk to them about what they want, whereas most hearing aid companies in the world have audiologists as their customers. Mm. So most hearing aids are designed for 
audiologists to sell to other people. Yeah, we're we're all about price and volume, and design's yeah. not as important. And yeah, are those the kinds of things? Or yeah, that's right. I mean, hearing aid companies do put a lot of time and effort into design, and they produce some fantastic designs. Mm. Um, but it's got to be functional design. You know, it's got to be mm. designed for a for a reason. So that part of facet is the modularity. Mm. Yeah, it looks fantastic yeah. and it comes in gold and silver and black and white. Yeah. But it No rose gold? <laughs> well, the gold is rose gold. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I had one question. Sorry. Oh, you go, guess. Oh, no. I, I was just uh, wondering where people could go to do the test, but... Mm. Um, if, if someone's hearing and they uh, they actually want to go in and test it out, I think you did speak about an app or um, whether the original one is online, but is it just on the Blamey Saunders website? Or? Yes, there is a test on the Blamey Saunders website. So we like to give people choices. We have clinics. We've got three clinics in Australia that you can go and visit and do all the normal stuff. But we also have this very special speech perception test that tells us everything we need to know about your hearing in order to um, know whether a hearing aid's going to work for you, what the likely benefit is going to be, and how to fit it to your hearing loss. And that's unique. There's nobody else in the world that can do this with a speech perception test online that takes five minutes. So all of a sudden, instead of having to make an appointment and go and see your audiologist who if you live in Nauta Whoop Whoop, might be 500 miles away, you can dial up Blamey Saunders on your on the internet, do this speech perception test, decide whether you need a hearing aid, buy one and we'll deliver it to you in a day or two. Well, it um, looks amazing um, and congratulations. It's um, certainly worthy of the 20th um, trophy um, in the pool room um, and hopefully there's quite a few more to come. So um, congratulations and yeah, can't wait to see um, it storming the world. Great. Thanks very much, Warren. We're going to have a chat now with someone who's running a festival. Um, if you like Comic Con and if you like geeking out to, um, I don't know, um, in person in the room uh, with others, then uh, Tech Games Fest is uh, probably for you. Uh, we're joined on the phone now by one of the people behind Tech Games Fest, Andrew Owen. Andrew, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Thank you very much for letting me be on air. So Tech Games Fest, how long has that been uh, been going for? It's currently in its fourth year. Um, I did a, a, a similar event uh, for six years at a, at a previous place. But uh, so technically we've been doing these for a decade. Amazing. And uh, are you kind of um, sort of um, pushing the thing yourself? Was there a big team behind it? Um, what's the kind of scale of, of Tech Games Fest? Oh, like I've got a, a good team of volunteers that uh, helps me with the um, during the event, and mm. I've got a few uh, few team leaders that that I've got here with me today. Mm. That um, we've just had our meeting, but um, that help create a lot of things. So um, I've got a lot of determined people that um, vol- volunteer their time to to make this happen each year. You kind of think of it as like a, a once a year thing, but really these things are all year, aren't they? There's a lot of planning and preparation and connecting with yeah. people around the world. And yeah, it's uh, basically when we're doing what we're doing one, you're kind of thinking about the next one. So we always do a small one in December, but the main ones always do in July. When like at the moment, like you know, we've got 
next week, but we're already having conversations with people about 2019. So, and that's always always been the case for for many years. You're you're getting one about to launch, um, but even two three months before that, you're you're already thinking about planning for the next one the following year. So, Andrew, you've been involved in games and IT for a while yourself, and um, you, you're currently a sessional uh, teacher at, at Chisholm. Um, and so Tech Games Fest is being run at Chisholm Frankston, but it is a, um, a volunteer-powered event. Um, That's right. It's open to all ages, and um, in the past it's been run with a focus towards high school students, and it still is That's in the right. school holidays. Um can you tell me a little bit about the aims of what you hope young people get out of coming to this three-day event? Uh, well, main focus that I'd always envisaged when I started doing these events a long time ago was um, what did I, what could I see when I was that age? And there wasn't a lot there. And like you know, these days, we've got you know, there's a lot more careers exposed and a lot more information that's ready on hand. But it was more about for people who are just unsure of anything that might be connected to anything technology, which is everything now, to, to see people speak, tell them, not give them a, a sales pitch, but tell them how it really is, find other people that share similar interests and, you know, let people find find their place. So that is one of the, one of the, the key issues that I've always aimed for. So you've got a video of last year's festival on the site and you've got people dressed up in onesies, uh, stormtroopers there. Um, it, it's more than just and something I'm so excited about. It's more than just, uh, you know, classes or, or coding or um, trying to do that mm. hard sell about getting into STEM. Um, yeah. There's some fantastic pop culture um, stuff there and, and I, I heard board games and cosplay competitions, uh, that type of yeah. stuff as well. Um, how, how, are the, how does this all interlink, um, you know, when, is it just the drawing card, you bring them in with anime and then teach them about VR? Or? No, no, it's, it's mainly about, well, see, a lot of people that, you know, if they're actually interested in, just say, games development or you know, IT or, or film or anything like that. It's, it's more of the pop culture. It's a lot of people in the industry are, are just in, are interested in the same thing as, you know, teenagers are or anyone that's younger of all ages. You look at the, you know, look at Star Wars fandom or Star Trek or, or Buffy or um, Firefly or any of those sorts of things. Um, it's, it's, I think it's part and parcel of, of, of what it is. Everyone has that same sort of interest. And I think with, you know, what people design these days, or I think that's something of interest. So it's, um, it's kind of a, I, I like to have that sort of stuff because it, it gets people talking with each other and not enough people actually kind of network. And that's one thing I wish people would have told me when I was in high school or even afterwards was to network. You need to, you need to talk to people. Yeah, you can go do a course and that's not the, the main thing of just kind of doing any hard sell. I'm totally against that. It's for people to kind of find themselves, find other things that other people are interested in. It opens their horizons to a lot more. You know, it, it, they might say, and go, well, actually, this is not for me. And I think that there's enough pressure on people these days to find direction of what they need. And it's like, no, you need to be this or you need to be that. And look at it and go, well, it's okay to be interested in this or, hey, actually, I actually really like this sort of idea and the community. And I think also a lot of people feel alone in their ideas and they can go and speak to other people and just who were just attendees and go, well, yeah, I've got the same hang-ups or the same problems as, as, as they do. So... 
So so you did speak about networking and there Mm. seems to be a big focus towards industry guests and um, there's um, a main stage hosted by another community radio show on um, Channel 31, New Game Plus. But uh, with this and with how, uh, what are some of the challenges in engaging young people uh, who might just be coming for a free school holiday event into connecting with the wider industry? I think, you know, you, you will get people that will w- come and just going, great, it's just a free event we're going to go to for, for a few days. But I, I think a lot of people, just, just by hearing, you know, other people speak or seeing new technologies or just participating, um, it just, there might be just things they're just not aware of. And it just gives them just gives them a lot more. Now, yeah, and like you said before, yeah, they always were focused more on the high school thing, but we're opening it more up to the public because there are people that out there that, you know, you know, they finish school and they're not really sure what they want to do or they're adults. They want to return to to um, to education. But that's not the thing is they might just want to connect to a community. And, like, you see that at other, you know, big expos where, you know, you see the fandom, the people dressed in cosplay and everyone's, like, in really high spirits and everyone gets, you know, gets along really well and, and having that buzz. But I've always said that if for doing these sort of events, for me to do, do them, they have to be free so that, you know, anyone can come so no one's restricted to you know whatever costs you know they can have where it's like oh no i can't afford 50 dollars or 60 bucks but they can still be part of a, of a bigger community andrew who, who have been some of the um more surprising guests or exhibitors um uh, in your time where you kind of thought oh. wow i didn't think we'd expect to have them there but there they were yeah, um, well, we've had, you know, we've had, you know, over the years we've had Sony, um, we've had, you know, major companies like Samsung coming in and, like, some of these organisations that come in and they've showcased things, have, you know, they may be used to just doing, you know, a sales meeting, not, you know, you know 600, 700 people screaming in an audience all super excited by, you know, what they're, what they're actually seeing and, and new ideas. I think also comic artists um, that we've seen, um, and I think also things like the Five O First, like when we had the, like with this year we've got the Five O First coming every year, and you know hearing about all the charity size, and um, that's a big thing that I I focus on and getting involved. That's something I've always been strong, and that's why each year we all funds that are brought in, even though it's a free event, we ask people to donate, you know, a gold coin donation or more, and that all that goes to TLC for kids. So it's like, yeah, you're getting a free event, but, you know, you're, you're getting to see a lot of stuff and you're getting to be part of, of a community, but also you're giving back and, and seeing what it, more, what it more to be, you know, a citizen. I think it's uh, really, really beautiful and um, just, just a wonderful initiative that you're bringing people together uh, for free and often young people or... Um, it. It is in Frankston, so and mm. as someone who's grown up around that area, sometimes it is hard when a lot of the events are in the city and it takes more than an hour to, to get there and back. So mm. it's really great to have something in the southeast um, and and actually engage uh, people. Yeah. Are you still open to um, people who are in industry or um, people who want to attend? Are there still places... Left? Yes, we, we we always you know we always make room for for organisations and individuals that want to showcase anything or you want to communicate things. We're always open. We've had that over the years where 
Uh, I remember one year, uh, it's probably like six, seven years ago, we had some um, high-end app, de- game app developers that just happened to be watching the live stream and went, you know what, I want to be down there. And then, you know, an hour later, they were on stage doing a an, a big hour presentation. Everyone was mesmerised. Everyone was like trying, all the everyone was trying to network with him, which was great. And he stayed all day and then did a following-up workshop. So... You know that was that was really really amazing that we you know we had that. But also you know you're talking about people coming from all over the place. Like you know for years we we get students who come all the way from China. So we've got SDFA Young Yard College students who you know they're 15, and you know we've been running you know high school esports. So we've got you know kids from here playing them as well. But also um, you know students here that are meeting people from you know totally different cultures and sometimes it's like wow they're interested in the same thing as I do but look at all these other amazing things that we do and where, where would you like to uh, take it in 2019 you mentioned that you were talking about um, where it might go um, without giving away too much of what's happening what, what's what's coming up well, you know, there's there's a lot of people that are you know saying that yeah, they're going to be involved for next year. So, making it bigger, making it broader, um, you know, making sure that you know the general public know that it's actually here. Um, still want to raise awareness for TLC for kids to show that you know there's mm. a lot you can actually actually do. Um, okay, I run a group called Cause and Effect Gamers, which is um, it was kind of like it's done in the style of the old MS Readathon. So it's uh, we don't collect any of the money or anything like that, but we're not a charity, but we do it for TLC. And you know, and people play games, and we get people to sponsor them. So you know, people are playing games now. Well, you can get someone to sponsor you, and that money goes to supporting you know sick kids across the whole country. So that can make it, you know, it can make a difference and, you know, uh, make things a lot more worthwhile. But um, I've got one of my team leaders here, Thomas, who's, who's been with me for quite a while. And, you know, he, he's, he started off like an attendee. So I can put him on if you want to ask him some questions because he'll probably see things from a slightly different perspective. No trouble. We've just got uh, a couple of minutes, but um, what, what's your involvement with Tech Games Fest? What, what are you going to be doing this year? So as Andrew said, I started off as an attendee and then started volunteering in 2012 uh, with our past event and now been with TGF since we started. Um, I'm one of the event managers here and help Andrew prepare it all uh, beforehand and then run around uh, during the event making sure everything runs smoothly. So it seems like you've got a really vibrant volunteer community there. What is one of the biggest draws to the festival for you? For me, I think it's, as Andrew said before, it's the community. So you get to know people that are interested in the same thing. You have people coming up to you with ideas or interests that you either really interested in yourself or that you think are amazing and you want to talk more and you make a really good communi- uh, community of friends through events like this. And then the volunteering side, we've had uh, others that started off as attendees and now uh, or work experience and now are volunteering themselves and they've made that connection themselves. Mm. And just before we go, what, what's your top tip for, for the festival um, this year? One thing to not miss. Uh, one thing to, I'd say come check out our, our board game side. We've got a lot of board games as well as technology this year and a lot of uh, other people interested to come in and play and uh, get involved. Oh, that sounds good. I'd be into that. Cool. Thank, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for having a chat to us on on Bite Into It tonight. It is seven fifty four. You're listening to that show. Um, we've got a few minutes left, but uh, we do have a track. It's uh, Giants by Kate Boy. 
And if you'd like to find out more about Tech Games First, you can go to chisholm.edu.au slash TGF. We've just got a little bit of time left, um, but we did want to point out a couple of things. Um, if you're hanging out for Facebook's um, solar-powered internet plane sending you Wi-Fi by laser, um, you'll be disappointed. Um, Facebook has announced that it will no longer pursue its dream of building a gigantic solar-powered plane to blast internet to underserved communities via laser. Um, who knew? that um, blue sounds, sky projects like this wouldn't get off the ground. It sounds ridiculous, but it actually had a quite noble purpose when Facebook was doing their Facebook light push. And but it still can be ridiculous. You can have a noble purpose and be ridiculous. <laughs> fair, yeah. fair enough. Um, so, I don't know. There was there was a time, uh, maybe a, two years ago, where um, all of the big tech giants were trying to get internet everywhere for the best possible reasons, maybe use our products a little bit more. But, you know, um, this one um, deserves to be grounded. Um, something that shouldn't be grounded is... Um, the event that we were um, just discussing. Um, if you want to get along to that, Cassie, what do you do? Yep, so it's a free three-day event uh, this school holidays, which is coming up next week from July 3 to 5 at Chisholm Frankston. Uh, it is for all ages, but they ask that you register online uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. And for those under 14, a parent or guardian is essential. And it's for... Um, games development, games culture, and other ICT-related fields. Uh, so get along to that. It looks like it's going to be great fun, and there'll also be some Twitch streaming of it too. Sounds great. Um, thank you very much to our guests uh, tonight, to um, Professor Peter Blamey. Um, it's a great piece of um, kit. Um, I think the facet is going to do very well. And thank you to Andrew Owen and to Thomas um, who popped in to um, oh, have a chat to us about um, Tech Games Fest. Um, you've been listening to Bite Into It. We'll be back uh, next week uh, with a different group of folks, but um, stick around. Up next is the International Pop Underground with Adam Christou. Uh, he's going to play some bangers, I'm sure. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.